the same moral and supernatural power that brought Christ back from the dead lives in us, lives in us through His Holy Spirit, and He has triumphed over the grave, and He is alive today, and He won there on that Easter Sunday morning redemption for all humanity and the cosmic powers across the universe felt it and they recognized he is risen welcome to first and foremost a weekly broadcast of first presbyterian church in the heart of downtown greenville senior pastor richard gibbons invites you to join us as we study god's word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives Today our scripture reading comes from the New Testament epistle of 1 Corinthians, and we're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you'll find it on page 1789, 1789 of your pew Bible. Often on an Easter Sunday morning, we find ourselves in the closing chapters of the gospel, but today we're turning to 1 Corinthians to look at the impact the resurrection had on the apostle uh, Paul and also on us. So we're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, page 1789, and we're starting at verse 3 of chapter 15. And Paul writes these words, For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Millions across the world this morning, from Johannesburg to St. Petersburg, from Moscow to the Mississippi, from Galilee to Greenville, millions are gathering to worship the risen Christ because they understand and know the power of the resurrection and the impact it has had on their lives. And that's why we celebrate this morning. Now, you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, I'm not sure where I stand, quite honestly, on, in terms of my faith. I'm just not sure. I come to church three or four times a year. My family bring me on Christmas, and they drag me along on Easter Sunday, and I kind of go to keep my wife and my children happy, and I kind of sort of enjoy it, and I understand the celebration thing. But honestly, if you had to back me into a corner and ask me, what does the resurrection mean to me? Well, I'd have to say it's a great ending to a very dramatic story, but quite honestly, I think it's the product of wishful thinking. I think it's a kind of fairy tale ending. I'm simply not sure it's real or, in fact, historically it ever took place. Well, if that describes you, Professor Stephen Hawkins, 
theoretical physicist, uh, said something similar recently. He said, religion is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. Religion is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. Now, Dr. John Lennox, mathematician at Oxford University who teaches not only mathematics but the philosophy of science, he responded to Professor Hawking when he said this, if religion is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark, atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. And he got it right. And as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, we will examine not only what Paul said, but we'll also try and understand a little of the Apostle Paul himself. Paul, when he first heard of the resurrection and the preaching of the gospel and the impact it was making was so incensed, he wanted to eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth. And in fact, he persecuted some of the very first followers of Christ. And yet, on the road to Damascus, when he met the risen Christ, his life was profoundly changed. And I think if we were to ask him this morning what was the single biggest difference in his life, he would probably say, I was afraid of living in the light. Because on that road to Damascus, it was the overwhelming wonder and grace and glory of the risen Christ that knocked Paul from his horse. What do we know about this passage? Well, there are several things we know. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He knew the folks there, and he knew them well. He had ministered there for 18 months. He had established the church there. He was now living in Asia Minor, some miles away. And he's writing to the church at Corinth, and his epistles of 1 and 2 Corinthians are spectacular epistles. But it's towards the end of 1 Corinthians that he's writing this. I want... Well, let me rephrase it. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Now, why is he writing that to the folks in Corinth? Well, today, if you visited ancient Corinth, I was there about three years ago, had a spectacular privilege of walking down the main street in Corinth, and up on the hill, you see a temple there, and the tour guides can walk you through it and tell you everything that happened there. And the city of Corinth, when Paul is writing around the year 55 AD, was a large city. It was the major, as you look at a map, it was the major route, uh, major route east into not only Greece, but further into Asia Minor, had a population of around 500,000 people. Entrepreneurs, those who enjoyed business, were attracted to the city. It had a very real export-import business. It had a major port for the purposes of import-export. Gamblers, Athletics, athletes from mostly around Greece would gather there, and it was a thriving, bustling town. 
but it was known in the ancient world for its loose moral standards, and such a thing as temple prostitution took place there in Corinth. And as you stand in the marketplace, as I said moments ago, you can look up on the hill and see the temple. It was known for its lack of morals and loose living. And as Paul is writing to this church, he is saying to them this, as your Christian faith grows and matures, as you have to face real life day by day, and all that society and the culture around you has to offer, please understand this. And I'm telling it to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. Now, why is that so important? Well, several things. Paul is not describing the birth, life, and ministry, and death of Christ in terms of psychology. He is not saying, although this happens, that when Christ impacts a life, He not only gives us the power to live, but He enables us to deal with all of the challenges that come our way. But Paul is not describing Christ here. He does that elsewhere in the New Testament in terms of the gospel psychological benefits. But that's not what he's saying here. Neither is he saying here the impact that Christ has not only on an individual, but a family and a community. He's not talking of Christ in terms of sociology, important, helpful as that is. Partially that, partially psychology, but not his primary focus what was his primary focus? I tell you, as of first importance, Christ died for our sins. Now, please hold that thought, and we'll come back to it. Because you may be here this morning saying, Richard, I know that, I've heard that, but I need you to nail it down for me. Illustrate for me, make it clear what do you mean Christ died for our sins? Well, let me try and do that. Put yourself in Charleston on a Wednesday evening after a Bible study. A young man stands up and kills nine people who were sitting there. They'd never done anything to him. He didn't know them. But he premeditated in a cold-blooded manner, shot them to death. What on earth was he thinking? Why would he do such a thing? Folks, please understand this. That when Christ went to the cross for our sin, he did so for this reason, that God will never, ever, ever say that sin doesn't matter. He'll never sidestep it and let it go by. He'll never sweep it under the carpet. He's not a God of pretense, but he knows this. And the Scripture teaches it again and again and again, that whenever sin enters into a life, whenever it touches an individual, it is toxic. It is devastating. It is also enticing, but it is enslaving and deceptive and utterly addictive. Utterly addictive. That's how powerful sin 
is, how utter selfish and corrosive it is, and it impacts and devastates the lives it comes into contact with. And God, in order to deal with sin, rather than pour His wrath out on us, and He would be justified to do that, poured it out on His own Son. And He blamed Him, and at the cross, Christ became sin for us in our place. In our place. That's how serious it is. That's how horrific sin actually is. And God will never look the other way and pretend it does not matter. It matters because it's held all of humanity in a vice-like grip since the beginning of eternity. That's how serious it is. And that's why the Apostle Paul says this, I tell you, as of first importance, Christ died for our sins. And when he hung there and said, it is finished. It was dealt with. And all of history held its breath as the redemption of humanity was accomplished right there at the cross. And He went to that cross because He loves us. Because He loves us. And you may be saying this morning, Richard, I hear it. You have been plain and clear, but I'm never going to shoot someone after a service. Let me take it to the next level. For we see sin around us every single day. It happens across our nation in human trafficking. It happens when we see people struggling and wrestling with alcohol and drug abuse. It impacts not only them and their families, and families begin to split apart and end up in horrific circumstances. And what of domestic abuse? What on earth is going on when an individual will attack someone they love for their own satisfaction and contentment? That sin at its worst, toxic, addictive, deceptive, corrosive, and enticing. That's how bad it is. And we see it when an adult turns to a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old and tells that teenager they are nothing and will never amount to anything, and that life is crushed and starts to shrivel in front of us. It happens when death takes a husband or a wife, and after 50 years of marriage, their spouse is left grieving and bereft and fearful and uncertain and have no hope. None. But on Easter Sunday, he conquered death and sin. And I tell you, as of first importance, Paul says, not only did Christ die for our sins according to the Scriptures, but He was raised on the third day. He was raised on the third day, and that's why we celebrate. And we celebrate because we know this, that it's not a nice end to a 
fairy tale. It's a historical fact. Paul tells us more than 500 people saw him at the same time. Where on earth did the power come from to take those disciples and turn them into men and women of God who knew the power and the reality of the gospel for themselves and were unafraid and unabashed to proclaim the gospel because it impacted their lives because they knew what it meant to have their own sin forgiven and to be cleansed and renewed and the power to live every single day. Folks, please hear this, and I will never get fed up reminding you of it, that the same moral and supernatural power that brought Christ back from the dead lives in us, lives in us through His Holy Spirit, and He has triumphed over the grave, and He is alive today, and He won there on that Easter Sunday morning redemption for all humanity, and the cosmic powers across the universe felt it, and they recognized He is risen, because death and sin, and all of its power has gone, and the resurrection has the last word for us. And this morning, if you are here and you do not know Christ, let me encourage you this morning to commit your life to Him. Let me plead with you to come to Him prayerfully and say, Father, I am not living the life I ought to. I know nothing of the power in my life. I know I have sinned, and I know I have wandered from you, and I know I have hurt the people around me. Change me, cleanse me, renew me, allow me this Easter Sunday to understand the power and the joy of the resurrection for myself. Allow me to begin again with you. That's why people from Johannesburg to St. Petersburg, from Moscow to the Mississippi, from Galilee to Greenville are celebrating the wonder and the joy and the thrill of this Easter Sunday morning. Why? Because I tell you as of first importance that Christ died for your sins, and you do not have to live any other life than the life He has for you. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the spectacular truth of the gospel. Thank You at a date in time, at a historical moment, Christ rose from the dead. And since that moment, He's been entering and transforming and renewing and empowering people to live for Him. Father, take us from this service this morning rejoicing and delighting in what our Savior has accomplished for us. Bless us, please, as we seek to follow you, and we do so in and through the name of Christ our Lord. 
Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. Also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the at night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education. Uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children, I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We're situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.